have some kind of project that is your own. Have some kind of playground that is all yours where you can try anything you want and you can use it as a way to learn and, and as a way to motivate you to learn. learn. Yo, yo, yo. What up? Welcome to the Mindful and Ruthless Podcast where you will learn the mindset, mindset strategies, strategies and the tactics in order to develop a full stack life. life. Hey, what's up, everyone? My name is Sagi Schreiber. I'm a designer and entrepreneur and the host of this show. My guest today is a Silicon Valley designer turned Columbia-based writer and best-selling author. Whether you already have a blog or write only every once in a while, we all have a lot to learn from our guest, who is not only a successful writer on Medium, but also wrote two books, one which became a best-seller, rated top 20 on Amazon in its category. Ladies and gents, it's my pleasure to present to you David Cadavy. Let's get my phone ruthless. He is a designer. Also, like we have such a similar story. It's like, well, I, I'm not a best-selling author, but I was a designer, and he's like, yeah, designer turned entrepreneur. He's one of the like, I, I think like, I don't know if top publishers on Medium, but certainly like one of the most like noticeable entrepreneurs that write on Medium, and also. You have an amazing podcast, which you interviewed so many amazing people. How many episodes do you have right now on a podcast? I'm wrapping up around 125 or so. Yeah, we've interviewed... First episode was Jason Fried. We've interviewed Seth Godin, Steve Case, the former CEO of AOL. That was really amazing. Uh, James Altucher. So many, so many people... It's been such a pleasure to be able to actually interview my heroes on that show. So it's been really enjoyable. That's amazing. Uh, and the podcast, by the way, to all of you that don't know yet, it's called Live Your Work. And we'll link to it. Oh, nice. You got the T. So it's an amazing podcast. And also right now you just released your new book, right? It's like a short book on how to write a book. Right. Yeah. So I've been doing some short, I guess I did one short read publishing experiment. I've got another one coming up and this one was called How to Write a Book. But it, it follows up uh, another book that I wrote called The Heart to Start that came out in December. And I just kind of like got the self-publishing bug and decided to rethink what books are. Like not like I'm the first person to do that, but I think I had, I had held on to, especially have, after having success with Design for Hackers, which debuted in the top 20 on all of Amazon, it's a traditionally published book. After that success, I think I really held on to this idea that, oh, every time you have to write a book, it's got to be like this huge deal. When there's actually plenty of things to be written about that aren't necessarily a huge deal, but that are useful for people yeah. and that our ideas of books are changing. So uh, one of those books then was how to write a book. So I just wrote 7,000 <laughs> words. It was intended to be a blog post. It actually is a blog post. People can find it for free, but it's also available on Kindle. It's available on paperback. It's available on Audible. So yeah, it's a lot of fun. I'm gonna, I plan, hope to do more of these shorter book publishing experiments. That's awesome. And like, first of all, that's how you got here on the podcast, by the way, and on this live Facebook interview, because to those of you who don't know, like, um, so I already told you I follow you for a while and like I got your email like about this book launch about how to write a book and I'm like wow I can't believe like I didn't have David Cadavy on the Hacking UI podcast yet and right now I'm starting to do these Facebook live interviews here and on the Facebook group of Mindful and Ruthless why don't I just like hey <laughs> this is a great opportunity so like I have no book out yet but I would love to talk to you about that but first how about you give a bit of background just like really quick to kind of like fill soul and like what you how you came to be from a designer to an entrepreneur so anyway how did I end up doing the things that I'm doing. Uh, I'm somebody who, 
I think like a lot of your listeners who are visual people, always loved art, ended up becoming a designer because I wanted to make a living doing art. As I, That's the way I thought of it anyway. And then I stumbled into web design, ended up being a designer for startups in Silicon Valley. And then I ended up writing this book, Design for Hackers, which basically breaks down design into a framework level understanding. Like It's kind of frustrating that if you code something, there's a manual that you can refer to. You get error messages that you can put into Stack Overflow and you can get a stack trace and figure out what's wrong with your code. But when it comes to design, you can't really do that. So that's what I try to do with Design for Hackers. And ever since I started blogging, maybe 14 years ago, I've really just wanted to learn things and then teach what I'm learning along the way. So, you know, (laughs) I still design things mostly for my own business, but I don't actually work as a designer anymore. And so now I'm doing more and more writing. So figured out how to write a book and now I'm sharing how to write a book. Just wrote The Heart to Start in part because personally have struggled so much with my own uh, creative resistance, with my own emotional barriers to actually making stuff happen. And that's something I discovered in the process of writing Design for Hackers too, was that a lot of people, they might have read the whole book, they might know everything that's in the book, but it's really, this is a problem across so many things. It's really not so much the knowledge, it's it's this emotional barrier that they put up, these mental barriers that they put up in front of themselves with creative work that prevent them from actually making that stuff happen. So that's when I started getting more interested in creative productivity, also in part because writing that book was such a a painful experience for me because, you know, I had certainly experienced creative resistance as a designer, but I'd gotten pretty good at it so I could get past it. But then when it came time to write a book, you know, I was locked in my apartment for six months of the worst Chicago winter in history, banging my head against the wall 12 hours a day just to try to get like, you know, 15 minutes of good writing. And I kind of, the dust settled and I was like, what was, what, what's that? How do I, how do I figure out how to, to make that kind of happen on command? So that's a thing that I've been interested in over the last several years. And that's nice. part of why I wrote how to write a book. That's part of why I wrote the hard to start. Oh man, that, so I'm totally like in this like kind of stage where I'm thinking about writing a book and I already started and you, you said you gave your friend a challenge, a book in a day. So I gave myself a challenge, a book in a day. Oh, you, you, um, wait, you gave yourself a challenge, a book in a day? I actually did. And I did it over, like I said, if I'm going to commit, I'm going to commit publicly. So I committed publicly to doing it in a conference. And then I went to a conference, locked myself inside a glass, I don't know, square <laughs> and sat down and just wrote for an entire day during the conference while everybody was walking around me, like, you know, networking mm. and stuff. And I was just like there in there, like writing. I managed to get three chapters done, about like um, 40 pages. But besides that, I just, you know, I stopped that day and I, I didn't continue that yet. So <laughs> I'm looking forward to continue. I mean, I think that there's a great opportunity to rethink what books are. So like this, how to write a book is, is 7,000 words. I've got another one I'm probably going to put out pretty soon here is four or 5,000 words. And just at least to get a feel for it, because there's so much to learn in self-publishing for just getting it out, for just figuring out how to get people to buy your book, to get it in front of people that you're going to even come up with an idea of a book that people want to buy, that I would encourage people, if if you're an aspiring author and you are okay with self-publishing, and if you aren't okay with self-publishing, you should probably rethink that. I don't know. We can talk about that. But to just go on KDP, go on Amazon KDP. And take a 500-word blog post you've written or something, publish it under another name, 
just go through the process. Yeah. Then you know, delete it a few days later if you want. And I, I understand some people might have a reaction like, oh, but you're just going to put crap into the ecosystem. Don't worry. Amazon can help the good stuff rise to the top and the bad stuff not get out there. And, you, and like I said, you can also delete the book. It's also under a different name. I did this myself just to figure out how to do the KDP thing. There's so much to learn. And once you go through that process, then that helps reduce some of that creative resistance of, you know, working on a book for years or putting it off or something and, you know, start short. Uh, Seth Godin really helped me with this. I was talking to him. We were on Skype, on video, kind of like we are right now. And he had this bookshelf behind him as he always does. He (laughs) motions the bookshelf and he says, he says, look, all these books here. Like if they're all bestsellers, if the publishers knew which ones were going to be bestsellers, they would just go to the people who our bestsellers, and they, they would publish those. So if I were somebody who were trying to publish, I would go ahead and just do a book a week. I'd concentrate on Kindle, and you'd learn, you'd learn over time what <laughs> works, what doesn't work. There's all these little subtle things that I can tell you from having done a traditionally published book, and now I'm doing this self-published book, that there's these things about marketing a self-published book that you can do that is very difficult to do with a traditionally published book and that tr- traditional publishers don't even really know how to do that well. Yeah. And you're going to be the head of marketing of your book anyway, as Seth told me. So you, know, <laughs> you just got to get stuff out there. And, and I think that it's very easy to worry that, oh, I'm, I'm, it's like career suicide if I, if I write a short book. I mean, it should still be good. Like, I, I think my short reads are, are good. Yeah. But, you know, it's something that you can keep doing. You can keep learning. You could do it under another name if you want, because that's a very common thing. There's a lot of authors with pen names and such. So that's a good way to get past that creative resistance. So that's something you might want to try. Just like go through the process of getting it on KDP. I think, first of all, this is a very interesting perspective because everybody thinks like, you know, I have to write a book and then like put it on Amazon. And you're like, hey, like, you know, experience just writing for a start. And also in your book, I love that how you talk about like basically like splitting it into days, just like try to write, you know, 100 words a day, 250 words a day, whatever you can, just like, but even lower than you actually expect of yourself, just like do it to actually form it as a habit. And you talked about your talk with Nir Eyal about this. And anyways, um, I, I want, I just put a link to this book because it's just like worth it. But I think that it's an interesting perspective to say, hey, you know, you experiment with writing. Why don't you also experiment with just going on Amazon and just like, you know, publish even not under your own name but just like publishing just like experience how is it to like upload something to an, the actual Amazon you know to the actual Amazon front and that's an interesting perspective because once you probably do that you get some kind of feeling of like whoa I just you know whoa I did that for like 500 words why don't I do that now for a bigger kind of like context so it's it's the same thing and this is actually an interesting this brings up an interesting point that is important about rethinking books, which is Joanna Pan, who's a a great advocate of uh, indie publishing, as she would call it. She doesn't like to call it (laughs) self-publishing. She talked about this on my podcast when I interviewed her, was that books used to have to be a certain thickness. You know, publishers wanted books to be a certain thickness because they would stand out on the shelf and you could see see it on the shelf. That made me think, well, that's interesting because my book that's 7,000 words has the same thing that War and Peace does. It has an Amazon page. People can find it through search. It has the same size cover on it. Uh, It has a URL, you know. It has all these things that War and Peace 
also has. I mean, my, my book my book is not War and Peace. I haven't read that book yet, but yeah. I'm sure it's very good because it's it's to the test of time. Yeah. But uh, you know, part of rethinking books is rethinking. Okay, well, what is a book now? A lot of our ideas of what a book is are established by old economics by these big five publishers or whatever in New York who let's look at some of the things that, that go on there. Okay. You have to print a certain number of books to even get the book out there. Yeah. So there's certain economics there. It's got to be a certain thickness. The per unit cost yeah. needs to be worth it. So it has to be a certain thickness. So what do you get? You get a blog post with a bunch of filler to make it 250 pages. I mean, I know everybody who's watching this, listening to this has experienced that. They, they're excited about this business book. They buy it. And you're like, this didn't have to be a book. It was yeah, like, it's, it's why, why is it so long? Why do I have to sort through all this junk yeah, just to get to the, to the idea? Yeah. yeah. And, and a lot of that is, is due to old ideas of what a book is. And they're kind of holding on to that still. Yeah. So self-publishing, you can completely rethink what is a book, you yeah. know? So the top New York Times bestselling books over, I think, the last seven years or something, the length has dropped like 40%. Yeah. You know, people don't have time to read a big, long book and slog through all this stuff. You know, they want... That's the one voice. Most people want something they can finish. And it feels good to finish a book. So that's one of the best compliments I've had about The Heart to Start with somebody said, you know, this is one of the first books I've, I've finished in a long time. Nice. That I've finished. Nice. And I want to just like kind of take you back even like like let's strip it down to the most basic people that are hearing and watching this, which are like didn't even write a blog post. You know, that really want to start writing, really want to start like putting their name out there. And I'm not even talking right now about the people listening to this or hearing this, let's say, that are kind of like, you know, watching this and saying, you know, I don't want to write. I don't want to put up myself. I'm, I'm an introvert. We're past that right now with this specific interview. But I'm talking about the people that really want to put their name out there and are kind of like they don't know how to kind of like start. So I know, first of all, you suggest Medium as a great way to start, right? Yeah, I think Medium is a great way to start. And, and believe me, I know exactly how those people feel. This is why I wrote The Heart to Start. This is the, the thing that I have learned myself is the thing that I am trying to solidify in myself <laughs> is to not get into these mental distortions that prevent you from ever starting. So one of those is this idea that you're going to create this grand blog and you're looking at somebody who's this great blogger and you're thinking, oh gosh, it's just going to take me so long to get to that level. But you don't realize like it happens day after day after day, you know, bit by bit by bit. Look at Seth Godin's blog, for example. I mean, it's nothing fancy. It's like a type pad blog, but it's amazing stuff. And this is something that I got over myself in 2004 was I was very, I was, I remember reading Douglas Bowman's blog, you know, the designer of, from Twitter and Google. He wasn't at those companies at the time. Yeah. They didn't exist, but, or Google did, I guess. But, uh, I remember admiring those blogs and, and looking at the blog layouts and everything. And I was pretty new to web design. I'm like, I don't, I mean, how am I ever going to do that? And so I went, eventually one night I went on Blogger and I just wrote one stream of consciousness post. Like, I'm not sure why I'm doing this, but I'm just going to barf this out. I'm seriously talking about <laughs> nice. exactly what's going on. And it was on Blogger. You can still find that today on my WordPress blog that's at cataby.net. Yeah. My first blog post is still there. So I think... Getting that action to happen, that first action is so important. And as you said, I think Medium is a really great place to do it because it really takes, you know, like transferring that to a blog. I'm not sure yet how that works on Medium, but 
whatever. I don't personally worry about that. I do a lot of writing on Medium. Yeah. I still have Cadavy.net. Medium is my little thought experimentation place. And it's a great place because a good idea can spread yeah. there. It can spread quite easily. I've had posts that I've written where I was kind of like, I kind of, I'm like really divulging a lot here. I kind of don't want somebody to see this. So I'm not going to do anything to promote it. And then it had like 75,000 views, you know, like, which is, you know, one of my most successful posts ever just through the organic network. Um, And then you also get highlights, which are extremely valuable because you get to see what people highlight, what really resonates with them. And then you can start calibrating your writing accordingly to that. So I I do think that one, getting started with it, and then as you were talking about having some kind of a very, very, very easy habit. It's more important to keep the habit of writing than the size of a habit. You know, so many times I tried to start doing like a thousand word a day habit. Yeah, I got by a couple days, but then what happens? Eventually you're able to easily make an excuse for yourself. But if it's a hundred words, then I don't know about you, but my self-perception is like, if I can't write a hundred words, like... I'm really a loser. I have no excuse. <laughs> so, you know, it might be 50 words for some people were 20 or 250, but having some sort of minimum word count like that and just getting the habit, you know, give yourself the weekend off if you need to. Yeah. Um, having the tiny habit is very important. You know, BJ Fogg, the Stanford professor, behavioral scientist, mm-hmm. was on my podcast recently talking about tiny habits and this program that he has and what he's learned about how it's so important to have those habits be so small that you can't possibly make an excuse to not do it. I think that's a great way to get started writing. All right, so let's take a short break to talk about our sponsors, Envision and FreshBooks. So I bet you all know Envision and love Envision, but today I want to talk to you about designbetter.co. The education team over at Envision created this amazing resource of quality learning material for product designers. They interviewed dozens of leading designers at companies like Google, Airbnb, Netflix, Facebook, Slack, and more, basically to discover their design practices in order to help us learn from that and implement that into our organization. So first of all, they have a podcast that you really need to subscribe to. It's a great podcast. And also they have four books they've put together. So you better head over to designbetter.co and check those out. Also, you can check out one of their kind workshops for designers. FreshBooks is the perfect accounting software for freelance designers and developers or creative entrepreneurs with a small business. FreshBooks is built from the ground up to work for people like us, let's say non-accountants. They have some really powerful features like integration with Stripe, expense tracking, and a customer support team that actually picks up the phone and works with you to find the perfect solution. Actually, my favorite part about FreshBooks is the super smart notifications they send, which show you the highest priority task you can do right now in order to improve your business. Again, if you're an experienced accountant and you're looking for the all-powerful analytical monster of a tool, okay, this is not it. But if you're like us and you're just looking to get some understanding of your business and keep track of things without wasting hours of your time, then this is exactly what you need. If you want to see what it's all about, FreshBooks gives you a 30-day free trial and doesn't even require a credit card to log in. You know, the, the thing is that I personally tried having like a, a daily writing habit. But then, you know, we try as entrepreneurs, as creatives to have so many habits in, in our like daily lives. I, you know, I try to meditate every day. I try to like do like um, write down my goals every day. I try to sit down and uh, create intentions for the day. And it's kind of like now I'm adding this on top and I already have a day full of, you know, packed with stuff. With habits. Yeah, right? with habits and mm-hmm. also stuff that need to get done. And also I'm saying to myself... 
if I write 100 words, why don't I just like, if I do that every day, let's say I spend half an hour writing every day or even like one hour, why don't I just have one day where I put like, I don't know, like three, four hours of jet writing and that's, and block it out on my calendar. What do you think about that? Is like, what's your take on that? I think if, I've heard some people who that, for whom that works. Yeah. That does not work for me. I mean, I will have days where I do put out a lot more words than other days, mm -hmm. but for me, and I think this is true for a lot of people, the more days that I string in a row, uh -huh. it, writing, writing hurts. Yeah. <laughs> writing hurts at first. Like, and the more days that I string in a row, the more it suddenly just stops hurting. And then the more suddenly there will just be one day where all of a sudden I can write. <laughs> you know, I might have written garbage for a long time, but all of a sudden I can write. And the more days I string together, the better that gets. Yeah. So I think that that is a good way to do things. Okay. Um, I think a misconception that a lot of people have about writing or, or a thing that I wish I would have known about writing was that I so long would maybe walk around with an idea in my head and think about how I'm going to write it. And then when I'd sit down to try to write it, it would just really hurt. And it's really hard to write about that idea. Yeah. But when I gave myself permission to cut that idea up into small things, so, okay, maybe write, write 200 words about this part of the idea today. Yeah. And then tomorrow I write 200 words about this, this part of the idea. And I allow them to overlap. Suddenly there becomes this universe in your mind about this idea, about this concept. And this is kind of what happened with me with design or with design for hackers was I designed so much that I started to have this framework understanding of this thing. It can be any concept. And then it becomes easy to, I mean, it wasn't easy for me to write at that time because I wasn't doing enough of the writing of it. But when you really attack a concept from every single angle over and over again, day after day, suddenly it becomes easy because it's very easy to write stuff that you already know. Yeah. But it's also much easier to know things once you've written about them. You know, to, to write words worth reading, you have to think thoughts that are worth reading. Yeah. And so the easiest way to do that is to keep writing. Hemingway would talk about this concept of the iceberg, the idea that the grace of an iceberg, the way that it moves, its solidity, its grace comes from the fact that 90% of it is underwater. So when he's writing The Old Man and the Sea, you know, he's lived in the fishing town. He's been a, a fisherman before. He's done all these things. He's not writing about all those things. Those are the parts of the iceberg that help make it solid, make the things that he does write have that confidence and that clarity mm -hmm. because he knows so much of it. <laughs> and so that's one of the things I wish I knew about writing, which was that I think for a lot of writers, especially for myself, what you see, what you see me write is kind of the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. There's a whole bunch other stuff back there <laughs> holding it in place. Nice. And just to kind of like, let's um, talk about your writing and what you do in general. So how does your business look like these days in terms of like structure? You, so you write right now, you have your books, you have the books that already exist, Design for Hackers, you have your podcast activity, right? Do you have sponsors there? Like how does your business, how, does it, how is it laid out? Sure. So I really kind of pivoted a couple of years ago. I decided that I really wanted to double down on this writing thing and the podcast and stuff, which is part of the reason why I moved to Columbia. I really <laughs> intentionally knew like that my income was going to be lower. Yeah. I'm starting to, to uh, report my income over on Cadavy.net as well. And it's, it's starting to pick up a little bit better. Cool. So, but for you know a couple of years there, there was just trying to get myself to 
be better and better at writing. And so I was concentrating a lot on that. So there is the podcast. I do have some Patreon supporters, which help cover the the production costs of the podcast because I do have a production team for that podcast. I do have sponsors uh, on the podcast. I don't really haven't been filling all of the inventory, but it's been I've had very good luck. I've had Skillshare and Casper, and uh, I've had FreshBooks. I've had a lot of great sponsors in the podcast. Yeah. What else? I still have courses, Design for Hackers courses. So I've got D4H Video, which is kind of like the video version of the Design for Hackers book with a community to go along with it. I do hangout, office hour hangouts where I work with my students kind of one-on-one or in, in a small group every month. I have a course called White Hot Course, which is entirely about white space, believe it or not. Nice. Uh, I love that course. It was so much fun. The sort of flagship part of that course is the talk. It's a, it's a South by Southwest talk that I did. I hired a camera crew to come to South by Southwest while I did this talk nice. about all about white space. I did a whole talk all about nothing. So let's see, <laughs> there's the, the podcasts, the courses, and then and then I'm starting to really do a lot of the books. And then uh, there's also some affiliate income as well. I had set up a lot of passive revenue streams that enabled me to concentrate more on design for hackers because, you know, first time author advances are not that huge. Let's be serious. So I had some passive revenue stuff set up before. And that was kind of my model was set up passive, do a little bit of freelancing, set up passive revenue with the rest of the time. Once the passive revenue started going then start exploring further things, that's what made design for hackers possible. So now I'm starting to rebuild some other passive revenue streams. I'm doing some very detailed reviews of different email marketing platforms, such as active campaign and Aweber and convert kit and stuff. And so nice. I'm starting to crank out some of those and those are setting up kind of passive monthly revenue that then also free me up there's some synergies there. One, I do email marketing. And so it enables me to learn about these different platforms and uh, sharpen that. But then it also creates that passive income that allows me to free myself up creatively to explore the things that interest me, which has really always been my mission. But it's the thing that I really decided to double down on a couple of years ago. So that's the basic structure of things. You know, I'm I'm not a multimillionaire. The thing that is important to me is following my curiosity and learning about things, and then teaching what I learned along the way, and hopefully enabling some other people to do that as well. So that's where I'm at. Oh, by the way, one, one other thing that I think is very interesting that is that I've also been earning money, not only on Medium's partner program, which is basically you publish things, yeah. and then Medium pays you for the claps that you get, but also a, uh, a blockchain site called Steemit, which is a uh, publish blog posts and you receive cryptocurrency and nice. uh, then you can cash that cryptocurrency on into Bitcoin and then on into US dollars. So okay. I made several thousand dollars in 2017 with that. I've made a couple thousand dollars so far in 2018. Um, people can see that on my income reports. Nice. But that's a really exciting new avenue or new revenue stream. This cryptocurrency backed social media stuff wow. is super, super exciting. It's actually what my next uh, short read is about is how to how to actually go through that process of posting things and getting the cryptocurrency and then turning it into US dollars or whatever your currency of choice is. Or just is. leaving the cryptocurrency because right now it's like, you know, set some aside. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, and I do. And there, that's, that's part of the way that Steemit works. I yeah. won't get into the complexities here, but yeah. you were incentivized to hold on to it, which is part of what gives it uh, yeah. value in the market. Oh man, that, that's awesome. So basically right now you uh, sell out of passive revenue streams 
that allow you to just like uh, live in Colombia where it's you know cheaper living right and just like also being kind of like a, an environment that you, you told me once that like you told me that you love this like environment that you're learning Spanish and like salsa dancing right <laughs> um, it's like enjoying the, the environment so it, it's it's great that you're doing this and basically you can focus on writing so living the life right Yeah, look, I mean, my, my, my main metric is how well am I connecting with my curiosity? Yeah. That was the thing that like my very first day on my own, more than 10 years ago, I woke up in my bedroom in San Francisco and like I'm in bed and I'm thinking like, oh gosh, I have like a whole day ahead of me. How am I going to fill it up with something that's not Guitar Hero? <laughs> so that was in that moment I decided... You know, I thought back to what it was like to be a kid where you're like losing track of time doing something because you just love doing it so much. Yeah. And so I just wanted to fill up as much of my day with that as possible. Yes. And now 10 years later, I'm getting more, I'm getting more and more of that where, I mean, I was, there was just a Sunday afternoon recently where I was like, all right, yeah, I should, I should relax today. And like everything I could think of that was going to be relaxing to me was also in some way work, <laughs> which is a little perverse. I'm not sure how to feel about that, but <laughs> it's a good problem it. to have. We all have it. Yeah. 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 I mean, like when you love what you do, uh, well, great, your podcast is Love Your Work. So when you love what you do, it's something that first makes you happy and fulfilled. Two, create success because you do it well because you love it. Three, basically, you most of these things help other people out. I mean, like, so in general, I think it's a great thing that what you're doing. And also the feeling that connecting to yourself as a kid is something that I talk about a lot, about like connecting to that eight-year-old feeling when you know like so it's something that also my coach Kelvin Wayman he talks about and by the way um, my coach Kelvin Wayman who's also on this group he uh, self-published his book Fish Out of Water which kind of like changed my life uh, because afterwards I, oh, cool. I reached out to him and got him hired him as, a, as my coach and so it's yeah I mean I was very inspired by uh, Tim Ferriss and the four-hour work week totally. and I think that a lot of people take the message of the four-hour work week as like oh just uh, put up set of passive stuff So that way you kind of don't have to do anything. But I mean, I think that's not the true message of the book, or at least like what I go for is let's figure out how to set up the passive stuff so I can figure out how to make things that are closer and closer to my core and that, you know, do something to help people. And it's just a, a long bootstrapping process to get to there of finding that overlap in the Venn diagram between what you love to do and what you can make money doing. And then uh, I think, that kind of naturally is going to help and impact other people because you are attacking the problems that you experience or the challenges that you experience and other people are naturally going to have those things as well. So, I mean, th that's part of the philosophy is, is trying to do something that is meaningful to me to, to love my work. Yeah. And I don't mean like, Oh, follow your passion type of thing because you know it's uncomfortable sometimes to do something and to try to do it really well but you have to find something or at least I think that that's a lot easier to do when you do love the thing and when you love the process in a way that you can actually enjoy some of the discomfort that's inherent in making something yeah. and that's what I'm going for it's totally like I think that you have reached success like top 20 on amazon and an amazing podcast with like such amazing guests so i guess like you know it, it's working the formula is working so um everybody if you're hearing this right now just like you know 
again, it's a great takeaway. Just try to connect to your kid self and do what you really are, like what you can fill up your day with. So totally. It's really hard to fill up your whole day that way. But I think even if you can find like a, you know, one hour window once a week, a 15 minute window once a day or something, I think those things feel like, like a crack on the sidewalk. If you just can make the commitment to try to reconnect with that feeling for a certain amount of time at some particular interval, and it's just this really easy goal that you can you can sit you can drop everything and just try to do that one goal at that whatever interval you know regardless of all the amazing things that are going on in your life and how busy you are eventually that it starts to grow eventually you start to find the time to do more and more of that yeah. if if you if you give yourself a chance to reconnect with that feeling i believe totally i think that also it's a great point because a lot of people have businesses they have their i don't know even if if not businesses they have their like full-time job and they have a family and they have so many like you know commitments that they're like oh you know yeah. what like you know i know it's like i like music but i'm not going to get into it right now but totally yeah you should like you should start with like incremental stuff like think about like one hour a week that's a that's a good um, yeah. it's a good thing to have. I, I had a period where I had like one and a half hours on, on hacking UI, which was my side project and one and a half hour a week. And, but, and, and we published every two months, one article, but that article was killer. And, and that kind of like what started me doing more of that. And then we eventually took Fridays to work on it. And one day we left our day jobs, you know, to, to do hacking. Yeah, UI. it's very cool. And, you know, I, I think, I think priorities are important. You, you have other things going on in your life, but you have to make the choice what things are important and that can result in you not doing some things that you might want to do because there's some other thing that you want to do but have a better chance of, of succeeding at sometimes. I mean, as unsexy as, as that sounds, you know, it's like I like to play guitar, but I've been doing it for 19 years and I'm still not very good at it. Like my chances of really making it as a musician are, are pretty low. My chances of making it at a, as a writer are are better. <laughs> so I very rarely play guitar. Maybe at some point I'll be, just be so wealthy that I'll decide like, you know, I'm going to carve out some time to like really figure out this guitar thing or really figure out how to finally learn how to dance tango, <laughs> even though I've taken so many lessons and I just can't do it right. You know, there is... There are those decisions to be made. I'm reminded of a story from Malcolm Gladwell, who said that you know when he was junior high or something, he was very talented at track and made the conscious decision like, oh, you can't do both these things. Or George O'Keefe, who is this, you know, one of the most amazing artists from the 20th century. When she was in uh, art school, she posed for a portrait, and then that portrait won this great art award and it was she had to think like well i mean i apparently have a prize-winning face i can be in more portraits but it's going to take away from my time being an artist so she consciously wrote down like okay i can do this or i can do that with like two columns on this on a sheet and decided like i'm not going to pose for portraits anymore and she ended up being one of the most influential artists of the 20th century (laughs) so i mean there might be things that you enjoy that you just have to decide like i'm not doing that anymore yeah so it's about priorities sometimes. It's totally about priorities. And I think that what you should do is just got, go with your, again, gut feeling. And that and also be mindful of what you can and can't do. And that's exactly why this group is called Mindful and Ruthless. <laughs> because you have to be mindful of what you do, but also be ruthless with your gut feeling and, and go for it. 
All right, just wanted to take a short break here. Um, if you listen to this episode all the way here, it means you probably find value in it, right? So, well, I wanted to just let you know that this is a weekly show and it's published first on the Mindful and Ruthless Facebook group as it's recorded live. Yes, this is a Facebook live interview and it basically allows you to interact with the speakers and myself and ask questions as we're recording the podcast and we are trying to answer all of those questions so if you haven't already be sure to search and join the mindful and ruthless group on facebook i promise you you'll find amazing value in joining this community as long as basically joining a community with a lot of other amazing entrepreneurs so all right back to the episode i like that i like that a lot you know because it does remind me of one of the things that I remember one of my podcast guests saying, it was Wheezy Waiter. He's this, he's this famous YouTuber, just like sits and makes jokes in front of a, a video. <laughs> That's what it looks like anyway. But I was like, what kind, you know, what kind of sacrifices have you had, had to make? And he's like, well, you know, there's a certain point where my friends were going out to bars all the time. And I just started seeing them a lot less because I didn't go out with them yeah. anymore. I mean, that might sound sad to some to some people, but... I'm sure he still has friends. I think back to like my 20s. One of the skills I wish I would have learned sooner was the art of staying in, the art of saying, you know, oh, oh, you want to go out? Like, oh, I actually have plans already. My plan is to stay at home and (laughs) and work on something like there's something I never did was there's this default to you want to default to doing something like you're, you're out, you're doing something. Maybe it's different for other people, but so sometimes you have to make that sort of feeling a little ruthless decision where you have certain things in your life that you have to cut out or cut short. I mean, how many times have you been at a party or at dinner where like you had a great time, but now the conversation just keeps dragging on and dragging on and you don't want to be like, you're afraid that you're going to be rude if you just like leave. Yeah. You know, if you say, okay, I got to go home now because I'm going to go read or I'm going to go work on this thing. You can have both. You can still go out to dinner. It's just, you know, cut it off when you're getting, when you reach the point of diminishing returns. Totally, totally. Just like, you know, and it goes exactly also to people that want a raise in their job. You know, they like, they're like, you know, I'm not going to ask for a raise because, you know, I just like, Mm. I don't feel comfortable with going out to my boss and asking for a raise. But again, if they are like, if people, someone's like, mindful about okay like i deserve a raise and i'm self-aware and then he's ruthless and saying no i'm going to have that tough conversation right now with my boss then they'll probably get a raise if they deserve it so just it's the same thing I told yeah you. if you're able to make the case yeah if you're able to make the case and uh, you know do your research and think about it then you reach a point where you're like i, <laughs> I need to get a raise otherwise i'm not going to be be able to feel at peace at this job yeah. Or I got to find a different job. Yeah, man. So I know that we're very short on time. So we have just like a a few minutes left for this interview. So I I have so much things I want to talk to you about. And I'm going to drop right now that I'm also releasing a course on, it's called Design Principles. And it's basically really similar to what you're saying about Design for Hackers. Um, I released it here in Israel. It's called Design Fundamentals here in Israel. And it was a pretty successful launch of an online course where I teach the framework. I, and I use that word, the framework that I, uh, <laughs> that I, yeah. I put together in the 10 cool. years as, as, as a designer to create great design happen. And now I'm launching it for the audience of marketers in the U.S. So probably, first of all, we can have like amazing collaborations about that. But we'll talk about that offline. Cool, um, cool. But anyways, so it, we have such an amazing similar story. It's just great. And I wanted to ask you, 
one last question, which is like kind of like, which we'll try to keep it short, but then afterwards we have the lightning round, okay? So the last question, <laughs> so the last question is this. Athletic stance. Yeah. <laughs> so you interviewed a lot of amazing people, right? But which one was like the one that you were most excited about or just like you remember the most and what was like the takeaway that we can grab from that? And I'll, afterwards, I'll link to that episode as well. Hmm. It's so hard to pick. I mean, we were just talking about Seth Godin. I think that that is one that truly had a big impact on me. Okay. Because, and this was maybe just even a year ago, I realized how much I was really holding on to expectations that I had for myself, expectations that other people might have had for me, other expectations definitely that I imagined other people having for me. And Seth really helped me break through that in our conversation. And that's the one time that I've talked to Seth and... It was, it really did change things and it really did set me on the course that I'm on now. And so I think that there's anybody out there who is thinking about writing books and has been holding off for one reason or another, I think that one, episode 77, is the one that I would definitely recommend to to listen to. Done. So I'll link it um, below. And so, all right, are you ready for the lightning round? Yeah, yeah, sure. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. So <laughs> first of all, you know, for any creative just starting out, really, just like people that are just starting out to put themselves out there, what is your biggest tip? Have some kind of project that is your own. Have some kind of playground that is all yours where you can try anything you want and you can use it as a way to learn and, and as a way to motivate you to learn. If you have a blog and you want to redesign the template on it, then that's a great motivation to learn various things to make it happen. There's there's no better way. Cool. Now, if you can name one podcast, blog, or book, which is not your own, <laughs> that you can recommend to the listeners and people watching. I'll have to say right now, it's a podcast. Okay. And this is going to make me sound so unoriginal, but I've been listening to Seth Godin's new podcast a lot. <laughs> uh, it's called Akimbo. I actually didn't know he has a, he has a new podcast. He has a new podcast and oh, it's man. epic. Nice. It's amazing. It's, it's, it's really talking about the importance of sort of wabi-sabi of like the thing that only you can do of in a way imperfection what can humans do in this age where we have ai and automation bearing down upon us it's a lot of what i i mean i've talked about that in 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 the heart to start as well and uh so he's just really hitting on a lot of ideas and going a lot deeper into certain things that i've thought about a little bit but that he's really adding so much interesting history and stories and examples to it and really helping me understand the world a lot better through this podcast. It's a it's a very high quality podcast. It is heavy mental lifting in a way. And uh, what do you say it's called? It's called Akimbo. Akimbo. So A K I M B O dot link. And then of course check out Love Your Work. For sure. <laughs> uh, yeah. Wow, amazing. Okay. And um, so that's a great recommendation. I'll check it out myself. Now in general what tools do you use for your marketing, like in terms of like email marketing, stuff like that? And what is out of those, maybe one tool that you can recommend to everyone listening and watching that I use active campaign for email. Yeah. I like it a lot. Yeah, me too. Uh, bec- it just gives you an incredible amount of control. I also like ConvertKit. They're similar in a lot of ways, but they're different in a lot of ways. And that ConvertKit is a lot more simple use them both? Though? I don't use them both, but I've in doing these evaluations that I'm doing, I, I do look at ConvertKit and I kind of think like, hmm, is it worth switching? But yeah. I, I think I ultimately come to, you know, active campaign is it just gives you so much control. Yeah. And ConvertKit's great if you can if you can I don't want to say it's restrictive, 
because it's actually you can do quite a bit with it. But it is a little restrictive when you compare it to Active Campaign, uh-huh. and you know you're probably better off if you can use ConvertKit and stick with kind of their way of doing things. But I guess I'm a control freak. <laughs> you know, I'd love to have the control that I can have with Active Campaign, where I can kind yeah. of make anything and I can make these automations and yeah. and you know have so many different lists and all that stuff. So yeah. I really do like Active Campaign. What no, else do I, I, I use for marketing? Well, I can tell you for selling books, Amazon AMS ads are really interesting. It's, it's definitely like a black box in huh. that it's very difficult to get reliable numbers from it. Yeah. But I see that as an opportunity because I think that a lot of authors are then not willing to put in the work that it takes to figure out how to make a profit with them. So if that qualifies as a tool, that <laughs> is, is something that I like. Cool. And so basically just the last question, where can we find you? online and connect with you check out my podcast love your work I've had a lot of great guests we've talked about some of them I was just talking about convert kit and active campaign that reminds me I do have a very extensive YouTube video where I compare those two so if people are interested in hearing my own pros and cons between those cool. I think I think that's good and then also yeah check out academy.net that is my blog and if you're interested in in taking a, a free course on design designforhackers.com and socials oh social of course yes twitter twitter okay at cadavy on twitter i'm at cadavy on instagram as well i i don't use instagram a ton but i'm i'm on there and then also cadavy author on facebook and also there's a design for hackers facebook page as well awesome okay so i'll link to all of those and wow that's a lot of them yeah man so thank you so much for coming on this show and it was amazing like you're like the first expert that i brought on to mindful and ruthless to interview and you're oh, also it's an honor yeah so it's it's a total honor um and for me you know as well and and um i can talk to you for like hours right because we <laughs> we have so much to talk about yeah it has been fun yes yeah so thanks so much man and yeah i'll catch you around probably for another interview in like a year or so and we'll see where we'll both be <laughs> yeah that sounds great saggy thank you so much thanks so much it's been David. great being on the show uh, this has been a fun conversation totally fun it was great so thanks so much man and that's a wrap i hope you enjoyed this episode and if you did i would love if you could help me out and please rate this on itunes this is a new podcast so reviews on itunes go a long way and also ensure that more people will just get to enjoy it you only have to do this once not every episode and it has a tremendous impact also if you haven't yet i would love to invite you to join the mindful and ruthless group on facebook where i host this show live and also share so much more with the members of the community this will be a chance for me to get to know you better and i love connecting with my audience all right so until next time remember to be mindful and ruthless ruthless with your gut feeling ruthless with your journey don't let anybody take you off your path my friend keep on and i'll see you on the next episode peace a good idea can spread it's more important to keep the habit of writing than the size of it my, my main metric is how well am i connecting with my kids